0: The Test Anything Protocol, or TAP, is a way to record test results in a language-agnostic way. It predates XML by about 10 years, and is still alive and kicking. Matt Lehman has contributed in- to Python in many ways, including his educational newsletter and his Django podcast. We forgot to talk about the- his podcast on this episode, but I'll link to it in the show notes, so be sure to check that out. Matt is also the maintainer of Tappy and PyTest TAP two tools for bringing the test-anything protocol to Python. In this episode, Matt and I discuss TAP, its history, his involvement with it, and some cool use cases for it. I'm your host, Brian Aukin, and I couldn't put this show on without the amazing support of Patreon supporters and our sponsors. So thank you, Patreon supporters, and thank you to PyCharm for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to Test and Code, a podcast about software development, software testing, and Python. Today on Test and Code, I am excited to have Matt Lehman on. I usually massacre everybody's name, but yours seems easy. Did I get it right? You did. Okay. It's a pretty easy one. I've known Matt for a long time. I don't know if we just, I guess, followed each other on Twitter. We met at a couple PyCons also and hung out. So Matt, for people that haven't hung out with you at
1: PyCon, who is Matt Lehman? So I am a software engineer. I've been doing software for many years at this point. I started my career out at Lockheed Martin doing satellite software, which will be uh, pertinent to the story that we have today, I think, at least in part, and did that for about eight years as communication satellite software, and then moved on to do web development in Django at an education startup. And today, for the last couple of years, I am at Doctor on Demand, which is a telemedicine company, and I'm the software architect there. So I'm responsible for making sure that the system's going in the right direction and helping our engineers unlock their potential with getting them the right tools and all of that sort of stuff. That actually sounds fun. Do you enjoy it? I do. It's, it's something very different from the day-to-day of of doing a lot of coding, and I, I'd still do some software development on occasion, but getting the opportunity to step away from the code a little bit and think about it at a higher level and think about how the big pieces fit together because we've got Django, we've got JavaScript, we've got you know all sorts of languages for different iOS and Android clients and that sort of thing. It's a fun opportunity to get your head wrapped around that something that big. Okay. And do you get to work with lots of people then, um, helping other teams? I do. The engineering team is not gigantic at Doctor on Demand, but we have probably in the range of 50 or so engineers uh, varying from Python developers to JavaScript to iOS and so on. That sounds
0: fun. I probably could get into some of that quite a bit on maybe a separate episode. Absolutely. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about, and you volunteered, whether you knew you volunteered or not, I can't remember, (laughs) was to talk about TAP or the Test Anything Protocol. I don't even know, I've tried to get in, understand this a little bit more, mostly because of the testing podcast. Seems like I should know about this. But Mm -hmm. I have a hard time getting my
1: head around it. So how do we start this? It's a great question. I think I would start by thinking of TAP as, well, it's a protocol. So it stands for test anything protocol. And it might be most analogous to, say, USB for test output. There's a well-defined format that can produce TAP. That's what it's generally called. And and then, so those are considered producers. And on the flip side, there are consumers that know how to consume TAP. And so it's this basic interchange format that a test runner can produce and then some other component on the other side can read it and process it and display it or aggregate it or do whatever it needs to do based on test results. Okay. How did you
0: get involved in this? Or how, why do you care about this?
1: Well... I got involved with this because my first language, the language that I really grew to love was Perl. So I started out in the univers- at my university and learned C++ in college. And I just absolutely hated it. No, no offense against people who love C++. It just was the first language I was taught, and it did not click with me at all at the time. So I really felt not great as a developer frankly when i got my first job i didn't have a solid foundation to work from and when i was at my first gig i worked on the the gps ground control software we had to do a lot of testing and so there was an entire tools organization because this is a project that has millions of lines of c and c plus plus code in it and as you, an important project like gps as you might imagine has a lot of rigorous testing around it and in that space, I ended up working on the tools team, doing a lot of Perl development. And Perl was the, the glue that was holding everything together. This was early 2000s timeframe. Uh, so it's still a very popular language. And I understand it's a popular language today, but maybe less so. And we needed to write some tests for these tools. We're writing layers of tools here. And they are so they were such an important component to how all this was plugged together that I got into learning how to write testing in Perl. And that's important because that's where TAP actually originates from. It came out of the Perl project. Um, in fact, if you go back and look at the history, testanything.org is the website for this, if anybody is curious. And there is a history page. And the, the first commit of TAP was all the way back in 1988 by Larry Wall, the originator of Perl. So TAP has been around for. An extremely long time. Okay. Larry Wall's the originator of Perl, right? He is. He is the, he's the Guido Van Rossum of the Perl community. Okay. But then uh,
0: it's relevant to Python as well. We can talk TAP. Python talks TAP as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's the really interesting part about TAP is it's a specification or a protocol that you can understand in roughly 10 minutes. The spec, spec is on testanything.org and it's seriously something you can read during a lunchtime and get 99% of what it does. I'll describe it on audio. I know that's a, a dangerous thing sometimes, but I think it's it's understandable enough that, that this is expressible even in audio format. So the tap format works by producing an okay or a not okay for a test result. And it sort of boils it down to that, that Boolean state of the world and will print out a line. It's a line based protocol and it will print out a single line for each what they call test point. And so that could be individual test in the re- resulting test runner, or it could be a set of tests, or however you want to group it. It sort of depends on the language, but there's a, a point assigned for each test in a test suite and all of this stuff gets dumped out as individual lines. And so what makes that so appealing is that you could write a tap producer in a sitting of less than an hour going through the format of adding in okay and not okay are the two things that are critical to this, and just printing that out. So it's a pretty quick and, and convenient way. And, and that's exactly what Larry Wall did, in fact, in the first version. It did nothing more than print out okays and not okays for the test suite. And that was how they built the test runner.
0: Okay. I'm thinking in, in Perl or in uh, Python, either one. I'm, I don't think I've ever written any tests in Perl. But uh, both of those languages, it's it's common Fairly common for people just to be printing stuff to the standard out. True. So is this stream going to standard out also or is it going to a separate stream?
1: Well, it can do either, but there are parts of the spec that say if you've got extra stuff in your output stream, tap will just ignore that. So it's only looking for lines that start with okay and not okay. And there's a couple of other things in there as well. You can include diagnostic information. So let's say you have a, a failure line that starts with a not okay and some some sort of description and you want to dump out whatever your test suite was was producing at the time to show the context of what was the failure so you can start a series of lines that with a, a hash mark octothorpe whatever you want to call it and dump out that information it will be associated with that test point and is a way to give you the extra diagnostics you need that go along with the test format. But anything outside of those basic descriptions and a couple of other things are just ignored by the specification. So that's what makes it super flexible as well. It's, it follows uh, Postal's law in that way of being being liberal in what you accept and conservative in what you do.
0: Wow. Okay. So I really could just um have this protocol. I could implement it myself if I had some sort of even a hand-built test runner or something. I could Output this stuff and then have something else read it. Yeah,
1: that's exactly right. And then, in fact, that's exactly what I did. I mentioned that my history in satellite software was a a piece of this. And what I did in a particular project, it was for the Iridium satellite phone project, the, the application software that runs that. We had a need to run stuff on a test board in a testing environment. And we're very limited in what we could use there. And so we made a simplistic tap producer that dumped out. It was able to, I, I can't re- recall now if it was either on a connected serial port or if it was a, a local file that we could read out off the test board, but it was able to dump out the okay and not okay line as we did high level integration tests on a variety of subsystems that were all brought together to make this stuff work. Oh, wow, that's pretty cool.
0: Thank you, PyCharm for sponsoring this episode. I'm working on a few new projects, and I'm so glad PyCharm is there by my side. When I think I'm ready to commit and push some code, I love the seamless Git integration. The ability to revert some files, commit some files, add files that aren't tracked yet, add some files to the gitignore, and even do partial commits of files, leaving out debug statements and whatnot all within one interface is super cool and super intuitive. I even use it for non-Python files. Of course, the integrated testing support is unsurpassed. I really like to put some code in test functions just to try it out instead of using the REPL. Even though PyCharm has the built-in REPL, it's just so easy to have a bunch of snippets of code in different test functions in a file and just be able to run one at a time. I even do this just to play around with new data structures or APIs. PyCharm saves me time in so many ways. Find out how it will save you time. Go to testencode.com slash PyCharm and try out PyCharm Pro for four months before deciding if you want to stick with the pro or use the community. And okay, I wanted to come back before we could move ahead. You said a couple of things. You made reference to something law.
1: Yes, postal P O S T E L, and I don't remember the individual's first name, but it is a a law that was connected to. Oh gosh, testing my knowledge. Uh, TCP. I'm not positive, but the idea behind it is to be be liberal in what you accept from others and conservative in what you do. It's a design methodology and that uh, allows certain protocols to operate pretty well with others. They they have a very narrow scope of here's what I'm capable of doing, but it's saying I'm, I will accept all the garbage you try and throw at me. And you can look at things like HTML. This is why one reason why HTML is probably so successful is that you can write pretty garbage HTML as your first attempt if you're learning it. And a browser will do bend over backwards to try and render whatever it is you produced. And so that's an example of Postal's Law in action, where it is doing everything that it can to accept your input and give you something meaningful back in conservative in what it's actually trying to do.
0: Okay, that's cool. I appreciate it. The uh, the little lesson I was just... Re- I'm chuckling because I'm remembering my early days of learning HTML in college with... Um, perl cgi scripts on the back end and i made liberal use of how liberal uh the the web browsers would allow you to just write stuff because a lot of my generate perl generated html was really garbage html things like just intentionally leaving off the uh the closing tag because i didn't have to
1: put it there things like that yeah It's a fantastic method for learning when you have that opportunity to grow into what you need to know. Like, who cares if you got something a little bit off, if you if something is able to correct it for you, and perhaps tell you, hey, silly, you need to go adjust this and probably do it better, if you want it to be perfect. But it gives us all the chance to to grow into something.
0: And also, thanks for the reminder that the pound sign or hash mark is also called Octothorpe. <laughs> it is so much more fun to say, so I think I'm going to try to... It is a great, great word. It's a good word. Okay, so if I'm outputting this stuff. Why? What's the benefit? I have a different protocol. I already have protocols for collecting test results data. So I'm assuming that the consumer side is
1: is where the benefits happen? Partly. And and also it has to come down to some history. Like if you, I was looking at this before we got on the call, trying to think of like, well, why does this exist today? And I think it's might be mostly because it's it's old. It's just been around. It's something that's understandable in a couple of minutes and does its job. But there are other techniques for collecting test results today. Like if you look at X unit frameworks, we'll often see a Junit.xml file which will dump out test results. This is something that's commonly done if you want to work with coverage in Python and, and true of very a lot of other languages. But you have to remember that the XML 1.0 spec didn't even come out until 1998. So this protocol predates that by 10 years. And so it was it was a way at the time to get test results when there wasn't a conventional structure to report on test results.
0: Okay. And it also is kind of cool. Well, yeah, we use JUnit, I guess not all of us. JUnit XML is kind of fun in that you can have multiple languages produce it, even but the limitations of it being from
1: Java to rear its head every once in a while. True, and and there are other aspects too about it. Of not everybody has an XML parser handy. Like in my satellite system example that I gave you, we didn't have XML available to us on on the VXWorks real time board that was available. We had you know the ability to dump to a standard out or print file kind of location. And that was about it. And and we probably could have cobbled together a very crude XML format if we needed to. So it's not to say it's not possible, but the tooling wasn't there to make it easy to do.
0: But I do notice, so I was looking at the website, the Test Anything, what was the name of the website again? It's testanything.org. Okay. There are like plugins for, for some of the continuous integration systems that read this output as well. So you could have, for instance, if you've got A project that has uh, JavaScript and Python that you didn't want to deal with the JUnit XML, you wanted to deal with something else. Various parts of your system could be tested in different ways and all produce this shared output. And then you could have uh, a report like in Jenkins or something that reported on all of the test results, no matter what language they were tested
1: in. That's, kinda... That's the beautiful part about the consumers. It's, it's totally, by being a protocol, it's totally agnostic to whatever the language is. It's just a con- consuming whatever you give it. And as long as something can output that format, you could have a thousand languages in your project and, and a tap consumer wouldn't care.
0: Yeah, okay. There were a couple projects that it linked to in the Python world. There's um, pytest-tap, PyTest I think, mm-hmm. and then tappy can you tell me what these are? Yeah, in full disclosure,
1: I am the author of both of those packages. But <laughs> well, good. I got the right person on the on the line. You did. And so Tappy and, and Tap are what I saw was was missing in Python's ecosystem. So Perl has this by default. The default test runner produces Tap out of the box. But I thought it would be nice to have a bridge for Python to do the same thing. So. If you're using Unit Test or using PyTest, or I also have a, there's a Nose version of this plugin as well, and you want to output your stuff to Tap, I wanted to make it as as trivial as possible to add a package to your system, so that you could produce that if if you so desired. Okay, and
0: uh, so the PyTest dot or PyTest Tap, that's like the producer part. It produces this output. Yes, that's okay. true. And does it produce in it just in the standard
1: output, or does it? send it somewhere else there are a few options on it so that you can dump it out in a variety of ways the default is to use the stream version where it will dump to standard out but you could write to a specific test file for dumping all the results to a single place if you chose or you can also break it up to dump it out into individual files based on say test case that's a little less useful for PyTest since it tends to be so function based but for a unit test suite that by default has to use a test class, you could dump it out into individual files if you chose.
0: Okay. I've definitely abused the um, the JUnit format before because what did I do? I think that I've been abusing it by if we are not using classes in our tests, the JUnit XML has a class field. So we, we've been filling that in with the module name instead.
1: Um, oh, okay. To, to, Seems like a great alternative.
0: Yeah. I'm not opposed
1: to, to organizing tests within classes. Sometimes it's a fairly handy thing to do. It's actually my preferred way to use PyTest. I like I like having most folks that I've seen tend to prefer the function level and the module scope, which is great. I have nothing against that. I actually like putting my stuff into classes so that I can see, you know, if I'm going to test one class that's in my production code and having a single test class to go with it this brings a nice parity that I prefer, but no, that's the nice part about PyTest. Is it's so flexible. You can you can do that. You can you don't have to do that, and you can choose your own adventure.
0: Yeah, and if you're like for instance, if you're using a, a text editor that automatically throws the self variable in for you with within methods, it really doesn't take any longer mm-hmm. to write methods than it does to write just functions. And then you can also utilize that grouping to be able to just run a like if you've got two or three tests together in a class, you can just run them together. I've never done this, but it would even make sense if you've got a big test file to be able to just run a few of them. You could even develop them as class in a class and then take them out of the class if you wanted to.
1: Right. And you can add class-level fixtures, which are a, a scope that's available in Pytest. That's one of the probably infrequently used scopes. So that if you have something that only applies to a certain test case, that you can limit it to just that test case.
0: Yeah, like yeah, a few a few related methods. Um, without the class level, you're you can still do module scoped fix a module scoped fixture that's only used by three functions, say. And it'll kinda do the same thing as a class, but you have to jump through some hoops. But classes are neat mm-hmm. sometimes. How about Tappy?
1: What is that? So Tappy is the sort of the parent project. It's where I did all of the work of collecting the different tap results and giving uh, one place to track all the statistics and counting that goes along with the tap protocol. And then the PyTest tap and nose tap, those are our children that are basically just importing the tap module from tappy which is doing most of the work and then pytest tap has the the actual pytest plugin when i started the project i originally bucketed everything together into a single package called of tappy uh, but the feedback that i got was hey i'm using pytest but you're also making me now include nose in my packaging and that's not great. So ultimately <laughs> I stratified it and, and split the things out into their constituent pieces.
0: Okay. And um, is there a consumer part of this within Python? Or?
1: I have written a consumer as well within Tappy so that you can, when you install the Tappy package, which I didn't get a great name on PyPI. So it's, it's actually pip install tap.py. The other ones were the title analysis project or something like that, but what can you do? I, I was late to the party on that front. But uh, when you install Tappy as something in your, your project, then you get access to a tap script that will be able to read in tap as a consumer. And in its default behavior, it will spit out in the standard Python dot format. So you can conceivably have a Python test runner that will dump out as a, a tap producer, all of the tap, and you could pipe that into the tap executable or the tap script and still get the same standard Python unit test style execution out the other side. So it can do end-to-end, if you will. Okay, interesting.
0: The other thing I was curious about is, this: a is it all a post-process sort of a thing? Or is, like, let's say if I have a producer that's producing to a stream or something, Can I have a consumer reading and
1: uh, like reading real time? Is that something supported? It's not in my project. You've identified one of the three open bugs that's in Tappy. I wrote it to just read after the fact, so it will sort of stall on you if you're trying to do something in real time. But it's certainly possible. It involves me going in there and writing some generators to pull off from a stream. And, you know, I I never prioritized on it. So I took the simple approach of just let me get it all at once and then dump it out. But there's no nothing stopping a tap consumer from reading a stream as it's coming off of whatever producer is producing it. Hey,
0: we're on a platform here. We can call this out and say, hey, anybody that wants to jump on an open source project and help out, this would be a great thing to jump on, do a pull request and help you out. Right? absolutely. Ooh, yeah. yeah, I'd be totally open to a pull request. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. It seems like a fun project and neat project. You, you said you started being interested in you're the the maintainer of these projects. How long have you been working
1: on these then? Oh, goodness. I think I made my first commit in 2014. Okay. So they've been around for a while at this point. Okay. It was mostly, frankly, a, a hobby of mine just to, to see if I could do it because I identified that there was not a lot of, there were some packages that existed that already did some TAP stuff, but they did it using non-standard APIs that you would expect from unit tests. And I did, couldn't find a tool that plugged in TAP as a producer with the built-in Python unit test classes. And that's what I wanted to fill in and make available to the community. Okay. This might be kind of fun to to as a jumping point
0: for even, like let's say I'm, this is a common thing to have a project have their own internal test runner and their own special format. But since this format is fairly easy to get your head around, it shouldn't be too bad for somebody to be able to implement the, the TAP protocol within their own system. And why you would want to do that possibly is let's say, you wanted to start using PyTest instead of your own one, or start using something else, uh, unit test. Um, I don't know what. If you're gonna change, you may as well change the PyTest. Then you could combine the output and you could still run your old stuff and combine the output of the two, maybe, or use some of these as a jumping point to produce. It's probably easier to write the TAP protocol into an old system than it is to, to make an old system generate JUnit XML files, for instance.
1: Yeah, it sounds really reasonable. Yep. So cool.
0: I could even like uh, take a start producing tap from an old system and then take that output and convert it to JUnit XML if I wanted to or something.
1: So Sure. We can also think of an example that might go the other way. So I've been reading a book called Crafting Interpreters. It's by a gentleman named Bob Nystrom. And it's about building your own interpreter language. And it's a fascinating book. It's still a, a work in progress, but but he does a great job of illustrating it, of how to build your own language. And at some point, he has a sidebar talking about tests and how to, how to write tests. And the statement that he, he makes in the book is that you, know, you should try and write your tests in the language that you're building. And the value of doing that is that If, for example, you're going to make multiple versions of your interpreter, and he actually does two in the book, he does one implementation using AST walking in Java, and then he does a bytecode implementation in C. And by writing a test suite that was using the language itself, he was able to share that between the two implementations. I could foresee a a world that... If you're going to do something like writing a domain-specific language or writing a new language, and if that's, if that's your speed, although that's not what most people would be interested in doing, you could use tap as your output and pass it to a well-written consumer that already exists. So you could be testing your own brand new language and get the results aggregated in a programmatic way to make sure whether everything was passing or failing.
0: Oh yeah, that's cool. I like that. Where do we take this? Did we cover TAP enough uh, to get people started? If they want to know more, they've got the Test Anything website. They've got PyTest TAP that they can install. So I am guessing that I don't have to install the Tappy.
1: I just install PyTest TAP, and then I get both of them. That- right. It will do. It's it got an install requires in its packaging, so it'll pull in the right version of Tappy. Okay, Cool. And then if people want to get a hold of you, you've got your own website, right? I do. I, I have a site at mattlayman.com and I write a lot about uh, Python and and Django. I'm spending I'm sort of devoting all of this year mostly to to Django topics to kind of niche down for a little while and and produce a bunch of content on giving people a good overview of Django. But in the past I've I've done a variety of of Python articles like uh making games with my son and all sorts of other random stuff that uh, has been interesting to me at the time. And you've started a newsletter. I think I'm getting your newsletter. Yes, that was something new that I figured I'd do. I, I try and do a lot of things for the Python community and and how it's hard to get your information out there sometimes. So I've got a monthly newsletter that I aggregate together all the things that I've done for the month. I do Twitch streaming. I write articles. I try and make an impact where I can in a small way. And so it was just a good way to broadcast. Uh, here's what I'm working on, in case you're interested in learning more about Django or learning more about Python.
0: Well, that's one of the things I appreciate because I am Django is one of the one of my things that I want to do a little bit more of this year. So cool. It's a good framework. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, and good luck with the growing the, the newsletter. Hopefully, you, everybody will subscribe. So, Tappy, it's not really an active project. I mean,
1: it's not dead, but it's you're not working on a lot? It's one of those projects where I could wish I could mark it as active but stable. Like, there's not a lot that, as I said, the protocol is like dozens of years old, so there's not a lot of churn in what happens. So, I could spend a bit of time making it uh, stream consumer input, um, but... The producers and the actual output side of it is a pretty stable project at this point. So if, if some group needed to depend on it, and some do, I get those pull requests periodically of, hey, we needed to support this Python version, or it doesn't quite do this edge case this way. I still do actively work on it. It's just, it okay. doesn't need a lot of attention.
0: Okay. Yeah. I could, actually, I kind of love projects like that. So it's neat. Um, well, thanks a lot. Thanks for coming on and teaching us about it. Oh, no problem. Happy to be here. Thank you, Matt. I learned a lot from this episode. And thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring this episode. The link for the extended pro trial is at testincode.com slash pycharm. That link is also in our show notes at testincode.com slash 105. While you're there, check out the Slack channel at testincode.com Slack. Maybe thank all of the awesome folks hanging out there for answering testing-related questions. Cool group of people. Also, head over to testandcode.com slash support and become one of the many Patreon supporters that help pay for the show. Thank you so much to our Patreon supporters. That's all for now. Now go out and test something.